Amen. Please take your Bibles and turn to Daniel chapter 9. Julie and I want to thank you so much for all the, the cards and the, the, the texts and, and just all the thoughts and prayers uh, from so many of you uh, after my grandfather's passing last weekend. Uh, we were in Tennessee this past week for his funeral, and uh, thank you for that time to be away for that as well. You know, so many people came by uh, Tuesday night for the visitation and, and the funeral uh, and spoke to me, and then other people, uh, you know, sent uh, messages on Facebook and, and whatnot. But, but just to hear so many other people talk about my papa and the kind of man that he was and the kind of blessing that he was to each of them was, it was overwhelming. And it was just overwhelming to hear from so many people from so many different walks of life, many of them I didn't even know. And the things that they said about him just really made me think about the sermon last Sunday. And so I just want to kind of talk about my papa a little bit as a way of reviewing last Sunday's message. First, my papa stood faithful in the little things, just like Daniel did, just like his friends did. They lived out their faith, even insofar as what they ate and what they drank. Those little things mattered to them. And so my papa lived out his faith in the little, small, simple, everyday kinds of things. In fact, at his funeral, three different people that work at the grocery store that he and my mama used to go to came to his funeral. Just people who worked at the grocery store. Because he lived out his faith even when he was going and buying a gallon of milk at the grocery store. The teenage boy from church that he mentored, that he took fishing and he took bowling... Not only did he come, but he had written a letter when my papa was in his last days and, and asked my mom to read it to him because he just didn't think that he could make it through. Or the story about my papa, how he finally quit smoking. Of course, you know, he grew up in a time where that's what everybody did, right? They, I guess, didn't know that it caused cancer. And, and he had tried uh, quitting two or three different times, but he was at work witnessing to this guy and this guy was very resistant. He just was not interested, wouldn't come to church, didn't want to hear the gospel. And finally, he looked at my papa one day and he said, you know, the day you quit smoking, that's the day I'll come to church. My papa never picked up a cigarette again. He was faithful in the little things. Number two, he stood humbly for God's glory. One lady had written a comment on Facebook and she came by at the funeral and spoke to me as well and told how when she was a teenager at church that she was trying to compliment my papa, trying to you know, thought she was going to say something to him that'd make him happy. And she told him how, how she looked up to him and thought he was just a great man and she wanted to, to be just like him. And he stopped her right there and said, No, 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 don't, don't look up to me. Don't try to be like me. I'm human. I will fail you. Look to Jesus. Try to be like Jesus. Now, I'm telling you, if there was any man on earth worth emulating, it was my papa. Yet he told this girl, You don't look up to me. You look up to Jesus. He stood humbly for God's glory. And finally, he stood firm when others bowed down. Now, my papa was not afraid to speak the truth. He spoke his mind. And what he believed about something and how he felt about something, he was not ashamed to tell you, even if it was not popular. I'll never forget as a teenager watching my papa at a church business meeting. And when you grow up in a little country Southern Baptist church, those church business meetings can get right, uh, downright interesting. I'll tell you that. Uh, and he stood up, and, and the, the stewardship committee had brought a proposal for the budget, and they wanted to give the preacher a raise, 
which is always a good idea. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Wanted to give the preacher a raise, and there were several deacons and people that just stood up right there in front of the preacher, in front of everybody, and just, you know, objected and didn't think that he was doing his job or whatever. And my papa stood up, stood right there next to him, and he just, in a loving Christian way, let him have it and told them that they needed to stand by God's man, and a workman was worth his hire, you know, all that stuff. And I just, as a teenager, just was sitting there with my mouth on, you know, jaw on the floor. I just couldn't believe it. But that's the kind of man my papa was. Or how at one point uh, they had a pastor that was doing a great job knocking on doors, winning people to the Lord. The church was growing. People were getting baptized right and left. And then those people started getting on committees and heading up ministries. And some of the traditional families in the church didn't like that. And they started to raise a fuss. And I remember my papa standing up and reminded the church about the Great Commission and what their purpose was to reach the lost for Jesus Christ. I admired his boldness in standing up for what was right, even if no one else would. Now, the reason all that was true for my papa wasn't because of anything he did. It wasn't because of anything intrinsic in him. In fact, before he met my mamma and met Jesus, he was quite the ruffian. But because of the love of my mamma and the love of God, and because of the transforming work of God's holy word, it radically changed him and made him the man that I knew and loved. So in a way, the only reason he, or the only reason Daniel and his friends, or the only reason that any of us can stand faithful or humble or firm is if we are standing on the solid foundation of God's word. And that's the fourth point from last week, the first point for today. However you want to look at that. We need to stand truthfully on God's Word. Now this that I'm preaching from this morning is my papa's Bible. My mom gave it to me. And uh, it's, it is quite worn. I mean, it's kind of coming apart right here, and it's frayed around the edges. And the, the pages just have that feel, like an old worn dollar bill, you know, not like a new crisp one. Um, but I was sort of surprised when I turned to the front and realized this Bible was printed in 2006. It's not even the Bible that I remember my papa using growing up, which my mom said he probably gave to somebody because that's just what he would do. But this Bible looks like it's a good 10 or 15 years older than it really is. And the reason is because this Bible didn't see a single day that it wasn't open. In fact, when he came home on hospice to my mom's house, she said the first thing he asked was for her to go home and get his Bible because he wanted to have it with him and he wanted to read it every day. Like my papa, Daniel, turned to the Word of God for answers to life's questions. And that's what we must do. We must turn to God's words for answers, especially when we're concerned or confused by life. Read with me in Daniel chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books of the numbers of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. So Daniel was concerned. He'd been watching the news. He heard that the Babylonians had been overthrown by the Persians, and so now Darius the Mede has been set uh, in charge of things in Babylon, and, and he didn't know what that meant. Now that Darius was the new sheriff in town, what did that mean for him? 
Remember, he was in the, in the royal court there of, of Nebuchadnezzar and Belteshazzar. He was, he was you know, kind of a, an advisor to the king. What did this mean for him? What did this mean for God's people that were living under the Babylonian rule? How would the Persians treat them? And what did this mean for God's promise, the prophecy of Jeremiah that after 70 years, God would set them free from the Babylonians and they'd return home to Jerusalem? Well, rather than wring his hands in despair or sit down with his buddies over a cup of coffee at McDonald's and complain about it, or turn to the news commentators so he would know what to think about what was happening in the world. Instead, Daniel turned to the Scriptures, specifically to Jeremiah. He studied God's Word and a lot of what was going on in the world and in his life. That's a great example for us. I mean, we live in the information age, right? That's what they tell us. We've got the 24-hour news channels. There's news on all the time. You can get it from multiple different viewpoints on multiple different channels. We've got social media. More and more people are getting their news from Facebook, which does not, you know, bode well for our civilization. Uh, you know, and then there's talk radio and there's, there's fake news and there's just all of this. We're bombarded with more news and opinions and analysis and predictions of world events than any generation ever on the face of the earth. It's easy to get overwhelmed by it all, isn't it? If you're like me, sometimes you just got to shut it down and walk away from it. So many voices telling us what to think about what's happening in the world and what to do about it. And some people profit off of that fear-mongering. You know, they, they tell you, buy gold. They tell you, buy rationing food supplies. And, they, and of course, from them. you got to buy it from them, right? And so they, they just kind of profit off this fear off this feeling of hopelessness and helplessness that so many people have today. But then on the other hand, you've got other people that say, oh, don't worry, everything's fine, the stock market is up, jobs are up, everything's going great. And if you're like me, you just don't know who to believe half the time. Well, the problem is that we are looking to worldly power and to human wisdom for answers to things that really only God knows. CNN and Fox News cannot answer the deepest questions in your life. And no amount of gold or freeze-dried food pouches can give you real, lasting security in an unstable world. Like Daniel, we need to look to God's Word for true wisdom, for the truth for answers and for security. Paul said this in Romans 15:4, "...for everything that was written in the past, everything..." was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. See, the Bible was written to help us endure the tough times. The words in this book encourage us to have hope when things look their darkest. Paul also wrote in 2 Timothy 3, he was encouraging Timothy and he said, he talked about how from infancy Timothy had known the Holy Scriptures, which Paul says are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So the Bible contains everything we need to know for salvation 
and for sanctification, for our spiritual growth, for our discipleship. It teaches us God's truth. It rebukes the sinfulness in our hearts. It corrects our worldly ways of thinking. And it trains us to live righteous lives. And God's Word equips us thoroughly for anything that God will ask us to do. So don't be alarmed. Don't be alarmed by what's happening in Washington, D.C. or Iran or North Korea. Be informed. I'm not saying don't be informed, but don't fear. Turn to the Word of God for hope and encouragement. No matter what's going on in your life, whatever personal bad news you've received, let the Scriptures guide you in how to pray and how to think and how to evaluate what's going on in your life and in the world. When you're faced with difficult moral choices, when you've got a life-changing decision to make, when there are spiritual obstacles in your path, let the Word of God guide you. And I hope our journey together through the Bible this year has been doing just that. I hope that it's helping you to be equipped to understand and use God's Word more effectively in your life. I hope it's helping you get a sense of the big picture of God's redemptive work in the world. So I want to encourage you to keep reading the Bible. If maybe you never started with us or you've fallen by the wayside, I've got good news. In a couple of weeks, we're going to start the New Testament. And I can't wait. So, so jump in there with us when Matthew comes, all right? Maybe you kind of got tired of all the, the doom and gloom of the prophets and you thought, man, I just, I've, I've, how many times do I have to read this? Well, I think it's how many times did God have to tell Israel because it wasn't getting through, right? But we're going to start the New Testament soon. Join us. And you can at least say you've read through the New Testament this year. If you want to catch up, the Bible Project videos online are free. They're fantastic. You can watch those and they will, and about the time it takes you to watch a movie, you could probably watch the entire Old Testament. And you'll have a greater understanding of, of the Old Testament because of that. But read it, study it, memorize God's Word, meditate on God's Word. Let it infuse your life with God's grace and wisdom and strength. But you know, our intake of God's Word is never an end in and of itself. God speaks to us so that we can in turn share it with others. And that's the other thing. We need to share God's Word with others, even if they don't like what it says. Now see, Daniel shared God's Word with those who would otherwise turn to the wealth and power and wisdom of the world to resolve their questions and their issues. Specifically, God had put Daniel in a unique position to speak truth to the pagan kings of Babylon. You know, we're also in a position to share God's truth to a world that's drowning in a sea of false religion, human philosophy and secular principles. Our postmodern culture has rejected the very idea of absolute truth and universal human freedom. Instead, everyone is free to choose for themselves what to believe, what is true, what is right for you. But at the same time, we've also become obsessed with these politically correct ideas of tolerance and identity politics, all of which actually create these protected classes of people whose rights and freedoms trump everyone else's. So if you think about those two philosophies of the secular world are really in opposition to each other. It's really a form of, of insanity with no foundational truth to back up any of it, nor any, any logic to keep it coherent. 
Now, I believe that today, more than ever, Christians have an opportunity to be a harbor in the stormy sea of cultural change. We can actually offer people a solid foundation to build their lives on. The Word of God. While the rest of the world is falling in on itself because they've built on shifting sand. More and more, people are going to come to the church. They're going to come to Christ because they're going to be in this desert of truth. A desert of absolutes. And if there's anything people want is absolutes. We might say we don't, but really we want absolutes. We want to know where the boundaries are. We want to know what's expected of us. We want to know in a world of fake news what is true. And while we may face some stiff opposition and resistance, and maybe even persecution in the short term, I believe that in the long term, if we stand firm and faithful, we're going to see people coming back to the church because they realize they need some truth in their lives. Daniel's our example. I'm not going to read them, but in chapters 4 and 5, Daniel faithfully interprets for King Nebuchadnezzar and for Belshazzar the signs that God gave them. You know, Nebuchadnezzar had this very strange, disturbing dream. And then Belshazzar was throwing a party, was using the, the elements, the, 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 the vessels from the temple and desecrating them. And then this mysterious hand writes this cryptic message on the wall. And both kings had called for Daniel to come and to tell them what it meant. And even though God's message to these kings was unfavorable, Daniel still spoke the truth to them. When Belshazzar offered to pay Daniel to interpret the message on the wall, Daniel refused. He wasn't sharing God's word with them with any thought for himself, for no other motivation than to be faithful to the Lord. And he told Belshazzar, he said, Yeah, you know, I don't want your money, but here's the message. God's going to do away with you. Your, your kingdom's going to perish and you're going to die. And amazingly, rather than punish Daniel for that message, the king honored him, rewarded him anyway, and even promoted him. But then the king died, so I don't know if that promotion really meant much, you know. The Babylonians are out, the Persians are in, and with them, really good rugs, I, I guess. I don't know. Daniel wasn't... That'll, that'll hit some of you guys after lunch. Daniel wasn't ashamed of God's Word. No matter what the consequences... His attitude was a lot like Paul, who wrote to the Roman Christians. He said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, but then to the Gentile. And what about you? Are you ashamed of the gospel? Really, think about it. Don't just, well, of course I'm not, David. What are you talking about? Really, are you ashamed of the gospel? Or are you eager to share God's Word with others because you know that it has the power to save people and to change their lives? You and I are called by God to speak His prophetic truth to those around us. That's what God expects of us. Throughout every generation, God has mightily used men and women who unashamedly proclaimed His truth. In our own era, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was one such man. He spoke the truth when it wasn't popular. At one time he said, this is a profound statement, a time comes when silence is betrayal. And so God is calling us 
to stop being silent and betraying the gospel. He's calling us to stop standing on the edges, just kind of watching everything happen. And He's calling us to engage the world around us. To call sin, sin. To speak out against real injustice. To counter, to counter the enemy's lies. And to boldly hold out the word of truth to a generation lost in darkness. That's what God is calling you to do. Not just the preacher. He's calling all of us. But remember that when we do that, when we do speak the truth, we should do it humbly. We should do it for God's glory, not our prestige. We should do it out of love and and, and compassion for the lost, not out of a holier-than-thou-I'm-better-than-you attitude. As Peter said in 1 Peter 3.15, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord, and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So we stand humbly for God's glory, even as we boldly proclaim the truth. And that is a critical aspect to standing in an unstable world. Another aspect goes hand in hand with this one uh, is, is that we must kneel boldly in unrelenting prayer. See, when faced with an uncertain future, Daniel not only looked to the Scripture, but he did it on his knees. He did it in a prayerful attitude. Now, we can see in chapter 9 the content of Daniel's prayers. And I want us to look at that. Daniel took what he read in Jeremiah. He allowed that to inform and guide his prayers. And this was serious praying. He prayed with fasting. He prayed in sackcloth and ashes, signs of mourning and repentance. This wasn't just a little prayer over lunch. This was some serious time in intense prayer. And there are three main elements here that can encourage us and can guide us in how we are to pray. The first piece of his prayer is confession. Look with me in Daniel chapter, four, in chapter 9, verse 4. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession. And said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps His covenant and mercy with those who love Him and with those who keep His commandments, we have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled, even in departing your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name, to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. Notice in this prayer how often Daniel says, we. Daniel is confessing the sins of his people, the Jewish community throughout their history. And he's including himself with them because they are suffering the exile, not just for individual people's sins, but for their sin as a culture. As a community, they had failed the Lord. And Daniel was a part of that community. So this isn't just a, a personal confession of his, his individual sins. This is a corporate confession of corporate sins. And notice that Daniel used a lot of verbs. He said they had sinned. They had committed iniquity. They had done wickedly. They had rebelled. They had turned away from God's precepts. And he says that they had failed to listen to the prophets. All these different verbs, all these different phrases were meant to recognize the depth and severity of their wickedness. He didn't just say, God, forgive us for we've sinned against you, and then move on. They had sinned so comprehensively 
that one word didn't even capture it. And also notice he used a lot of nouns there at the end of verse 6. Kings, princes, fathers, all the people of the land. Indicates the breadth of their wickedness. It was all encompassing. The entire nation was guilty. From wealthy to poor. From young to old. From the royalty to the common folks. All had sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In Sunday school this morning, we looked at Psalm 51. A powerful prayer of confession and repentance for personal sin. And all of us in here have occasions for praying that prayer. But I want to call us as a church to pray daily a prayer of corporate confession and repentance for us as a congregation. And you may say, well, well David, what do we have to confess? I think we have to confess that we don't have a burden for the lost in this community as we should. Because I believe that if we were truly burdened for the lost around us, I'd be up there starting the service in that baptistry a whole lot more than I am. I think that we need to confess our selfish motives for serving. And for our selfish excuses for not serving. We need to confess that our own interests often take precedence over the interests of others. And certainly over the interests and priorities of our Lord and Savior. We need to confess that we fail to serve the poor, widowed, and fatherless as we should. We need to confess that we do a whole lot more talking than we do doing, and a whole lot more meeting together than we do going out. Will you join me in praying daily a prayer of confession and repentance like Daniel and like Isaiah did for God to forgive us, to cleanse us, and to use us for His kingdom glory? Will you join me in praying that? I hope that you will. Because revival will not come until we do. But the second part of Daniel's prayer is a prayer of affirmation. In verses 7 through 14, Daniel affirms God's righteousness and their wickedness. God's holiness and faithfulness and their rebelliousness. And this part of the prayer really reminds me of two verses from Psalm 51. Where David said, For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Daniel and these verses and David in Psalm 51 are both saying that God never makes mistakes. That God is always true to His Word and He is always completely just when he punishes and chastises his people. So Daniel's not angry with God for the exile, for the devastation of Jerusalem. He acknowledges they deserved it. They deserved the exile. They didn't try to justify it. Daniel didn't try to make excuses. He didn't try to psychoanalyze. He just said, God, you are faithful. You are holy. You are just. We are not. And we deserve what has happened to us. Did you know that you and I deserve an eternity in hell? Because we sin against an infinitely holy God, we deserve an infinite punishment for that sin. We deserve it. So when tragedy and crisis comes to our lives as it does, even when it's not of our own making, just remember, you deserve an eternity in hell. 
But by God's grace and mercy, He provides a way for us to experience life. To be atoned for our sins. To be made pure and holy in His sight. Not because of anything we've done, but because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. And in our prayers, we need to do more affirming of that. And going before God and acknowledging His greatness, His glory, His holiness, that He is God and we are not. And that by the grace of God, we are saved. And not because we're wonderful people. The third part of his prayer is a prayer of petition. Now he comes to the part that we like to kind of jump to really quick, and that's ask God for stuff. So you'll see that most of his prayer has nothing to do with asking God for anything. Take note of that. But look at verse 15. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name as it is this day, we have sinned and we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem your holy mountain, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people are approached to all those around us. Notice there again, he is still taking ownership for, for this. He's saying, God, we have sinned. We have done wickedly. It's because of what we've done that we're in exile and Jerusalem is in ruins. He keeps reiterating that. He never loses sight of that. But he says, now therefore our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications. And for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary which is desolate. Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations. And the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds. But because of your great mercies. We cannot come before God's holy presence and ask anything based on our righteousness, can we? No. It's because of His mercy. Oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for Your own sake, my God. For Your city and Your people are called by Your name. Even in what Daniel is asking God to do, it's for His glory. It's for the sake of His name in the earth. Daniel asked God to hear this prayer of repentance. He asked God to be true to His promise to forgive and restore His people to their land. Not only is Daniel drawing on Jeremiah's prophecy here, he's actually going all the way back to Deuteronomy 28. In Deuteronomy 28, Moses said to the people, before they even went to the promised land, he said, you're going to go in there, things are going to be great, and you're going to reject God. You're going to fail to keep up your end of the covenant. You're going to rebel against God. You're going to worship false idols. And when you do, God, He's going to be patient with you. He's going to send judges and prophets. But there will come a day that God will say enough, and He will take you into exile, and He'll strip you away from your land. But, Moses said, If you confess and repent of your sins and turn back to God, He will restore you to your land. And that is also what Daniel is drawing from. Daniel understood that God's intention was always to restore the remnant of Israel and through them to still bless all the nations of the world and bring about His kingdom. So whatever your past sins... 
Whatever you may have done to get you where you are today, wherever we as a church and we as a country, whatever we have done to get us to the place we are today, our merciful God promises that the future will be brighter through His forgiveness and through the eventual restoration of all things when Jesus Christ returns. Jesus promises us that He will make all things new. And that's really the essence of God's answer to Daniel's prayer. Look at verse 20. Now, while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I'd seen in the vision at the beginning, was being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said... O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out. And I've come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. And he begins to give Daniel the answer of how God will eventually restore his people, just not in the way and in the timing that Daniel thought that he would. Daniel 9 teaches us that whenever we are mystified by God's word, Whenever we're mystified by God's work in the world, the best thing we can do is turn to God's Word and pray. And sometimes God's answers will astound us. But we can trust God's Word to be true, and we can always trust God's intentions to be good. And the last thing I want to say is that not only do we see the content of Daniel's prayer, but the consistency of Daniel's prayer. In Daniel chapter 6, and you remember this story, King Darius is tricked into passing a law that you have to pray only to him for 30 days because Daniel's enemies know that Daniel's a man of of, of conviction and honor and he's going to keep on praying, which is what Daniel does. He, He does what he's always done. He opens his windows to Jerusalem and he prays. They catch him. They turn him in. Darius is heartbroken over it, but he has to follow the law, so he throws Daniel to the lion's den. The next day Darius goes, Daniel, are you okay? And Daniel answers, yes, my God has delivered me. And Daniel's brought up out of the lion's den. He's promoted, and those wicked men are thrown to the lions themselves. And Darius makes a proclamation to all the kingdom to revere and honor the name of Daniel's God. Now, the message of this story is clear. Because Daniel placed his life under the authority of God's Word, he would not allow even the king's edict to change how he lived out his faith. Martin Luther, the Protestant reformer, stood up and spoke out against the power and the might of the Roman Catholic Church, which at that time was was intertwined with the state. There was no separation of church and state. So he literally was going up against the most powerful organization in the world. And he demonstrated that commitment to God's Word took precedent over any human law. He said, my conscience is captive to the Word of God. Thus I cannot and will not recant. For going against my conscience is neither safe nor salutary. I can do no other. Here I stand. God help me. When we stand truthfully on God's Word, we will kneel consistently in passionate, powerful prayer. And so we must not only spend time in God's Word every day, to stand in an unstable world, but we need to bend our knees in prayer every day if we want to stand in an unstable world. Much of the book of Daniel consists of some really strange visions. (laughs) 
So as you've read it, I'm sure you've scratched your head many times. And a lot of those visions were about what was about to come in the next few centuries to the Jewish people. Some of it was about what would come again when Christ returns at the end of time. But these visions have been used for generations to encourage the people of God to live faithfully under oppression and persecution no matter what century. Daniel gives us a divine view of reality that goes beyond the visible. It tells us how God will ultimately win. And that's good news for us because it means that we can face whatever is coming our way with the hopeful expectation of final triumph. That's what Daniel says in 2.44. He says, The God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will be left to another person. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. And in 727, then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey Him. So it doesn't matter who sits on the throne or in the Oval Office. God is in control. And world history, your history, never catches God by surprise. God is sovereign. His kingdom is forever, while all other kingdoms are passing away. Is Jesus the sovereign Lord of your life? Does He sit on the throne of your heart? Because, let me tell you, your little kingdom will also eventually be crushed just as Babylon and Persia and Greece and Rome, one way or the other, we will all be forced off the throne of our hearts, either by death or by an encounter with the grace of God through Jesus Christ. The choice is yours. And I hope that today you will take yourself off the throne and let Jesus reign supreme in your life. Maybe for you that means you need to come today and pray and give your life to Jesus Christ. You've never confessed and repented of your sin. You've never said, Jesus, I want you to sit on the throne and be Lord of my life. I want to follow you. In just a moment, you're invited to come today and to make that life eternity-changing decision. Maybe you're a Christian and you've tried to nudge Jesus off that throne from time to time. You've not been living under His sovereignty as you should. You've not been standing truthfully on God's Word. You've not been living out your faith in the little things. You've not been firm when others bow down. And you've not been bending your knee in prayer. Maybe today you need to come and just rededicate your life. Re-acknowledge to Jesus that yes, He is the King of your life and you want to live under His authority. Maybe today God is calling you to come and to stand with this church as a full member of this congregation. Whatever God has spoken to your heart, would you step out in obedience and faith as we sing together? Would you stand?